Turn your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 2, please. 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. I said my car. I apologize for that. That's the Lord's car. And it belongs to God and this church. And I thank you for letting me use it. Sometimes I get carried away and say things that are meaningless. I try to correct them when I do that, though. And as I preach, I wish you'd pray with me that God will guard my lips from presumptuous statements. I believe what I preach. Sometimes I may say things that, that uh, maybe I didn't plan to say. I pray that they're valid and from the Lord. Sometimes the things that are preached are not very popular. I love you very, very much, but I'm not in a popularity contest. I don't believe you would love your preacher very much if he didn't preach what the Word of God says. Sometimes it stings. Sometimes it steps on his own toes and on the toes of others. Tonight I want to bring the message from an unusual scripture passage, 2 Kings chapter 2, under the title, Where Do We Go From Here? Where do we go from here? Let's pray. Our Father, we ask you to guide us tonight in this message from the Word of God. May we be led by the Holy Spirit. We pray for the power of God upon this service, that every one of us will leave knowing that we've heard from God, and we'll have some direction as to where we ought to go and what we ought to do in light of what's going on. Have thy way. And we pray that if there's one person in this place tonight who is not saved, that he'll come to Jesus. And that every Christian will determine to put his life on the line for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. The heartbreaks and sorrows that we know are pressing in all around us. The rearrangements in Eastern Europe are a a daily excitement in the newspaper and those who are undiscerning will give just a big hurrah and applause without stopping to think what's happening. Now the message tonight doesn't deal with prophecy but it will, another, another message soon will. <clears throat> in the light of what's happening in Eastern Europe, we need to watch what the scripture teaches about the rise of the ancient Roman Empire under the Antichrist and the false prophet, a religious ru ruler who will do everything he can to get all the religions of the world to worship the beast. That's just a sufficient, just a word to the wise is sufficient. Keep your eyes on the word of God and prophecy. <clears throat> We've been in revival meetings all spring. All across America, churches have been in revivals. In our area, almost every Baptist church has been in revival. Somebody laughed at me when I said, instead of having a two-week meeting, we're having three or four five-day meetings. And they said, what do you mean instead of having a two-week meeting? Who ever heard of a two-week meeting? Well, some of you older folks will remember that we used to have two-week meetings here. Matter of fact, we had a three-week meeting one time. And Ninth and O Church in Louisville that became one of the great soul winning centers when John Haggai first went there 
went on a spiritual, unbelievable revival service that lasted for six months, every night for six straight months. And so our small meetings of three or four or five, two, two or three or four or five or six day meetings, really we ought to plan a month long meeting. I don't hear very many amens on that, but you see, the kinds of time we live in demand that God's people get out of doing the, the ordinary to the extraordinary, the unusual. Now I want to give you some background for the scripture I want to give you tonight. John Esau spoke of seven revolutions faced by youth today. Number one, the pressures upon youth to succeed so the parents can brag on them. Number two, ambiguity of adult behavior. Preacher preaches against drinking, but mom and dad keep it hidden at home. I have to appreciate the honesty of a couple. You won't believe what preachers have to deal with sometimes. I was visiting one day of a couple that had visited our church. It was some years ago. And they said, now, preacher, don't want to be personal. Just want to ask you some questions. He said, uh, you don't preach against adultery, do you? I said, well, if that's what the Bible speaks against, that's what I speak against. And they said, well, we're living in adultery. And nobody knows it, but I thought I ought to find out because our kids know it. And we wouldn't want to bring our family to your church if you're going to preach against it all the time. I said, you'd probably be happier in another church. The legalistic morality that says you have to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Now, I believe in standards. But standards have to be put into effect in a spiritual sense in our lives or they mean nothing. I heard about the girl who says, I don't dance because the Baptists don't believe in dancing. How silly. I guess if you're not going to dance because Baptists don't believe in dancing, that may be one good reason, but that is a poor reason. There ought to be something deeper in your convictions about it than that. Somebody else said, I don't drink because my church says you're not supposed to drink. Well, beloved, if that's the only reason you don't drink, thank God you may not drink. I hope you don't drink. But if that's the only reason, it's a very poor reason. The main reason ought to be the Bible says wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. At the last, it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder, it's like a rattlesnake. It'll hurt you, it'll kill you. Legalistic morality, sexual revolution. Just do anything. Make any difference what you do. You see it on television all the time. You read it in the books. You have videos and some of the kids stay up and watch the uh, HBO things on television and their parents have all this stuff piped into their homes and they think their kids are so naive that they go to bed at 9 o'clock and they don't ever see it. That's ridiculous. Folks, if you're going to have it in your home, you just well expect your kids to know what you're doing. And then he spoke of the educational revolution and the difference between dogma and practice of Christianity. 
And adults and young people no longer know how to communicate with each other. And then someone said, well, what's next? What's going to happen next? And the RCA chief executive officer, Mr. Engstrom, predicted, number one, speed travel will keep increasing. Number two, practical use is soon to be made of our knowledge of the moon and other planets. Number three, nuclear fuel will be used throughout the world. Number four, population will keep on increasing. Number five, people will be completely cataloged by computers. Number six, the armament race will continue. And others are suggesting a not so optimistic outlook. Nuclear warfare, the shrinking of Christian community to a small minority by the year 2000, the arrival of the Antichrist. One contemporary philosopher said, I expect committed Christians to be a conscious minority by the end of the century, surrounded by a militant and arrogant program of paganism. And do you see what is happening? Dr. Gordon Clark foresees a decline in morality and a snowballing government control that will lead to the overthrow of the United States. Dr. Armin Nicholas, a junior psychiatrist at Harvard University Health Service, says the influence of new drugs on people's thinking and feeling will be unparalleled. Many in the non-Christian world, leaders, are in effect saying, let us eat, drink, and enjoy free sex, for tomorrow we rise in a nuclear cloud or we'll be smothered by the weight of our population. Now, in the light of that, I want to ask you, what do we go from here? Where do we go from here? What do we do next? After revival, what? After all these philosophers have said what they say, what? After the Eastern Europe revolutions, what? After the trade problems between America and Japan, what? Well, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 2, when a man of God wondered what's going to happen next. It came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came forth to Elisha, and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? He said, Yeah, yes, I know it. Hold your, your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha, and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood in a view, to view afar off, and they too stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided to the one side and to the other, and so they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I am taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, 
Let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and separated them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. I love that. Elijah, that thunderous Niagara that appeared out of nowhere and disappeared as God took him. He came to Ahab one day and said, Ahab, the dogs will eat your blood and the dogs will eat Jezebel by the ramparts of Jezreel. Twenty years went by and Jezebel still reigned as queen until Jehu came riding into Jezreel and said, throw her down, throw her down. And the eunuchs threw Jezebel down and her chariot of Jehu ran over that wicked queen. And he went in to eat. And while he was gone, the dogs came and ate Jezebel, all but the palms of her hands and the dirty skull that conceived the mean, ugly things that had been in her mind. God said it. It came to pass. But everybody has a time when he must go on. Our tenure here is not permanent. Enoch walked with God 365 years, and he was not because God took him. Methuselah lived 969 years, and God took him away. Elijah, I don't know exactly how long he lived. I'm not sure that the record tells us. But long enough to complete his mission. And then God took him without the death dew on his brow. I want you to see tonight for a moment, where do we go from here? The preparation we need to follow, the price of followership, and the plan of His will in our lives. Number one, the price, the, the preparation to follow. Elisha loved Elijah. How much do you love the things of God? How much do you love the people of God? One thing I love about these guys right on this front row is they love to come to church. They may not always behave right, but I love them. It's exciting to see people in times like these want to come to church. You don't have to go and beg them and plead with them, twist their arms. They're ready to go. How ready are you to serve God? How much is there, in, is there inside of you that says, I want to be what God wants. I'm going to prepare to follow the Lord. If we're going to prepare to follow the Lord, we have to be like Elisha. Notice in verse 1, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elisha, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now they were in Gilgal. And Elisha and Elijah went together away from Gilgal. In other words, Elisha was with Elijah, walking together. 
I heard about a little Navajo girl who heard a great missionary speak out in the West. And after the speaking, she came up to that missionary. She stood close to him. And then she looked up and she said, I wish it would rain. I wish it would rain. And the missionary said, why do you wish it would rain? And she said, so I could walk close by you under the same umbrella. Do you want to walk close to the man of God? Do you want to walk close to the people who are following the will of God? Do you enjoy, listen to me, look eyeball to eyeball. Do you enjoy being with God's people? Now, there was a time when there was a great man of God named Moses. Moses had some sons. Those sons didn't give a flip about their daddy. But there was another young guy named Joshua. And Joshua loved Moses. Here were Moses' kids. They took it for granted. It was just commonplace to them. They didn't care a hip about being with their daddy. And as they grew, instead of growing closer and closer to him, they grew further and further away from him. Don't anyone here ever blame mother or daddy because they made you go to church. Thank God for some parents that make their kids go to church. I guess Moses was one of those guys, Moses' kids, one of those young punks that said, well, my daddy's always talking about the law of God. He's always talking about the word of God. He's always going up into some mountain and praying. He's never with us a lot. And he's always gone somewhere. How foolish. They could have gone with him. They elected not to. Joshua said, I want to be close by Moses. He walked with the man of God. And when it came time for Moses to be taken away, God said, all right, there's already a young man prepared. His name is Joshua. And Joshua, the son of Nun. We don't know anything about Nun. But we know that Joshua got close to Moses. Elisha got close to Elijah. The price of followership. Preparation for followership means you have to get close to God through reading the word, through prayer, through soul winning, through being involved in the things that move the heart of God. How much do you really want to follow God's plan for your life? How excited are you tonight over the things that really count? Elisha was excited about the things of God. Now I want you to notice the price that Elisha paid. Elijah was a master. Now I would say a master psychologist, but you might take it the wrong way. Elijah wanted to see how much Elisha really wanted the mantle. And so look what he did. He said in verse 2, Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. He gave Elisha every excuse in the world. He even said, now Elisha, you stay here. I'm going on. And if Elisha had had it in his heart to be away from Elijah, he'd have done it. He'd have just stayed right there. But he said, not on your life. Elijah, wherever you're going, I'm going. I'm going to go with, with you to Bethel. Now, it wasn't easy to do that. Just pick up sticks and pick up everything and go with him. I want to tell you, if you're going to follow the will of God... You can't let down your anchor so firmly that you say, well, here I shall not be moved. That's good to have a special pew in church. 
But don't get in such a pew that if some visitor comes in and sits in your pew, you come along and say, that's my place to sit. You were born. Now that's happened. That's church history. <laughs> I shall not be moved. I'm going to stay right where I am. If you're going to follow the will of God, the price of followership is a willingness to say, I'll go with him, with him all the way. I'll do what God wants me to do. And so Elisha said, I'm going to Bethel with you, Elijah. I'm not going to let you out of my sight. And so they went. And when they got down to Bethel, look at verse 3, and the sons of the prophets came forth and said, hey, Elisha, hey, Elisha, do you know that your master is going to be taken away today? You, you, uh, you know, you, you've had your faith in Elijah and you've been with him all the time. What are you going to do when he's gone? Everything's going to tumble all in. Do you know that? Do you know he's not going to be here anymore? You see, God's Spirit was beginning to tell them all that Elijah was about to pass off the scene. And they were trying to discourage Elisha. How many of you have tried to be, somebody has tried to discourage you from following God, following close on the Lord? And they said, well, look, what are you going to do when everything's gone bad? What are you going to do when the, the preacher's not there anymore? What are you going to do when things don't go very well? What are you going to do when you spend all your money on tithes? And you don't have enough for your bill. What are you going to do about all that? Those are scare tactics brought on by the devil. Right. He's trying to hurt you. And that's what those men were trying to do to Elisha. They were saying, look at here. You're, you're man of God's going to be taken away. Then what are you going to do? Elisha said, I'm going to just keep following. I'm going to keep right on following. What are you going to do when the world crumbles in? What are you going to do when your friends go off some other direction? And remember these school of the prophets... Those were young preacher boys. Religious leaders. Not everybody talking about heaven is going there. Not all your cronies and friends who talk religiously are in the will of God. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Elisha said, I'm going to follow Elijah. I'm going with him. I'm not going to let him out of my sight. Well, verse 4, Elijah said, Elisha, you just stay here at Bethel, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. <laughs> now he gave Elisha every reason in the world, just stay there. Why? Why, the man of God told me to stay here. But Elisha said, no, sir, I'm going to be with Elijah. I'm going to help carry his mantle. I'm going to help carry his burden. I'm going to stay right with him. Will you stay right with God's purpose and plan for your life? Will you stay with that group for walking in the purpose and plan and will of God? Or are you going to go off and say, well, that's just too much for me. I didn't depend. I didn't expect such a big schedule as that. I didn't expect that I'd have to be gone from home all those hours. I didn't expect that I'd have to do this and this. I didn't know it was going to be that hard. There are a lot of spiritual flunkouts, a lot of spiritual casualties along the way. Somebody becomes a Sunday school teacher and everybody doesn't act right. What are you going to do? Well, I'll just tell you I'll quit. Didn't expect this kind of thing. Somebody decides to work with RA boys or GA girls 
And things sort of dwindle down. Everybody's not coming. So, well, I just tell you, I can't get them to come. I think I'll quit. Somebody enlists in the kingdom of God, feels a call of God to preach the word. And you have some trouble. You have some heartbreaks. And listen, I want to tell you, nobody is exempt from heartbreaks. What are you going to do? Elisha said, Elijah, if you're going to Jericho, I'm going to Jericho. I'm going to do what you're going to do. I'm just going to stay close by you. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. Where are we going to go from here? We're going to walk close to the Lord. We're going to do his bidding. Stay in his word. Be involved in soul winning. Be involved in the things that really count. Look at verse 7. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view far off, and they stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided to the one side and to the other. So they too went over on dry ground. It came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, What will ask what I shall do for thee and before I am taken from thee? This brings me to the third point tonight. What is the plan of his will? There comes a time when you get close enough to the Lord, you can hear his inner secrets, you can hear what he's telling you to do, you can hear him speaking to your heart, you can hear what he's saying, and he begins to say, you ask me and I'll tell you. Now remember that not before this did Elijah say that to Elisha. When he was going from Gilgal, he didn't say, Elijah, what do you want me to do? Elisha, what do you want? What can I do for you? He didn't say that. When they were going to Jericho, he didn't say that. But after Elisha had proven that he was going to walk close with God, he was going to stay close to the man of God, they got on the other side of the Jordan River. Elijah said, Elisha, I see you mean business with God. What wilt thou that I can do for you before I'm taken? What is it? Travis, if you can't behave better, that's silver. I don't care, silver. I love you. Uh, thank you. Donnie, you straighten up there and be quiet. These are my kids. I love them. I heard about a preacher who was preaching in a church. And he corrected some people. And some of the people in the church didn't like it. Any preacher that's worth his salt isn't preaching for the applause of the people. Now I love you, you know it. Don't you do that again anymore. Do the word. When Elisha, when Elijah finally, when Elisha finally demonstrated that he was going to walk with God. He was going to be right close to Elijah. Then Elijah said, now, Elisha, what will you that I do for you? And Elisha asked a hard thing. Have you ever asked a hard thing from God? Really?